Acts chapter 3. We're actually going to be in Acts chapter 4, but... Last week, we saw the grace of God revealed to a man who had been crippled from birth. I love that. You know, he was laid every day at the temple gates. Could you imagine being uh, disabled from birth in a society to where there wasn't really any uh, uh, many safety nets like we enjoy today? You had to contribute to your family or you were cast away. And so they would take them, they'd set them where else but at the, at the gates of the church, the gates of the temple, and as these people would buy, walk by every day of this guy's life, he would just beg. He would just beg, oh, help, you know? And it, it, we can see there from chapter three, he wasn't even looking eye contact at people. He'd just been so worn down year after year. Jesus had probably walked by this guy. We had tons of people walking by this guy every single day. And yet, here he was, paralyzed. And... You know, that's just kind of how we operate as a society, how we are as a world. We are so crippled at our core with sin, each one of us, and it's manifested in different ways in the way we behave, what happens with our bodies and all this type of stuff. But at the core, we are all in need of a Savior. We're all in need of the grace of God to come down and reach us out of where we are and just say, rise, get up and jump. And that's what these disciples did that day on that way to prayer. So I just want to start by praying, and uh, then, we'll, then we'll get going. Lord, we want to thank you so much for your grace this morning. And I know that's a word we kind of throw around, but really, truly, we, we are so utterly broken and sinful and rebellious at the core of our hearts as your word says, we even delight in your law sometimes. We, we love it. We look at it. We don't have the capacity to fulfill it. We cannot complete what only can be completed in Jesus Christ. And so we come before you today as your children, as people who have come from different backgrounds and different experiences, all broken. And we have come that you might reach down and pick us up and hold us, Lord, and heal us and cause us to jump with you today. Uh, Lord, we lift up the teaching of your word in this place. We pray that you would bless it, that it would penetrate the hearts, that it would produce a harvest, and that we wouldn't uh, just sit here and do our duty and check off the box, but you would have all of us. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. So last week, chapter three, the guy gets radically healed Peter and John are on their way to prayer. Isn't that neat? Three o'clock prayer, and you know, Jesus is in their hearts. He's, he's, they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Their lives are about the things of the kingdom. They're on their way to the three o'clock in the afternoon prayer service. They walk by this guy, look down, and they connect with him. And we talked about last week, we can just walk by people all the time. But when the Holy Spirit says, hey, pay attention, look down, wake up, we should respond. God wants to do something. He wants us to be aware of something. Something's happening. And how many times I just pass by no because of the way they look or how that might affect me or what they think of me. And we need to die and just say, okay, Lord, and, and, and engage. And Peter said, you know, here's this guy. He didn't have money. And instantly, wouldn't you just be going, you know, I just can't meet this guy's needs, so I'll let someone else do it and see you. Isn't that it just, uh, you know. 
He didn't have money, but he had a spiritual need. And they had that. What they had, they gave. And that's what he said in, in, in chapter 3, verse 6 through 8. It says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. And faith isn't just saying things. It's actually doing something. And he reached down and he grabbed them. And he lifted them up. Wow. And he, it says instantly his, his feet, they became whole. And he stood up and he freaked out. Praised God. And so here they are. They're just blown away. And, and the crowds gather and they recognize this guy. And they're going, hey, isn't that the guy who was... And isn't that the best testimony of when God changes our lives, when he reaches down and he grabs us? We're, we're no longer crippled in the way we were. Yeah, we have to be sanctified. There's things going on in our lives, Christian word for God still making us like Jesus every day, right? But I once was lost. I once was blind. Now I'm, I'm found, I see. There's a, there's a change, and isn't that the greatest witness of the power and the testimony that Jesus is alive, is Jesus alive in me? When I'm no longer that old man, when I no longer cripple, and people will look at me and go, man, why, why aren't you, you know, cussing up a storm? And I remember working in a bowling alley, and all of a sudden I'm like, I don't know why, why it wasn't, you know, a conscious thing. It just happened from within. I, I was changed. I was healed. It just flew. You know, there's things I have to choose to die, obviously, but there are things... There's just that testimony of God's grace in our lives. When we're changed, we're redeemed, we have the joy, there's a hope, there's a freedom. This man experienced that that day with God reaching down into circumstances after 40 years of bondage, physical bondage. He was just blessed with the Lord. And Peter, he takes this opportunity as people are looking around and, and hey, you know, what? if I reach down and I, like, say, I, I grab someone who was, was having trouble and I just prayed and, they were healed in here. You'd be like, oh, man, he's got the touch. You know, look at that guy. Look at how wonderful, you know. Oh, you know. And what is, and my tendency in my heart would be to do what? You know, yeah, I got a little bit of that going on. And all right, praise the Lord too, you know. But isn't this great, Jesus, what we've got going on here? And Peter has this great crowd around him. And he decides to do what we should all do. Is we don't touch the glory that is his. It's all his. All the glory, all the honor, all worship, all power, all healing, all goodness comes from him. Thank you for using a broken vessel. And he says, men of Israel, why are you surprised that this is happening? And why do you think it's coming because of our goodness, our godliness? We're people just like you. We're just normal people. But you should know this. And then what does he do? He points them to the scripture. Because it says... Because this is what it says. And he doesn't go off his experience because of what he thinks or all this stuff. He points them right back to the scriptures. And he starts hitting them between the eyes with their own history, their own scriptures, their own Messiah. You should know this about what's going on. And he talks to him. He starts preaching the gospel. And he's, in, 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 in our gospel preaching, somehow we think we have to always be, you know, I don't want to lose them. Oh my gosh, don't want to lose them. Don't say anything offensive whatsoever, ever. Brothers and sisters, they're condemned. They're already condemned. They're going to hell. They're separated God from eternity. And I know that that weighs on our hearts. But the very fact that you are there shows that God wants them to be with him. And we need to trust the Lord in that. And obviously we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in each situation. I'm not saying be 
a bull in a china shop, but you know, we, we need to realize that, and you know, I'll get into this later, but there is an enemy and he wants you to be quiet. And he wants you to water down the truth to where it's just not the truth. And so Peter starts to declare, he says, hey, each of you have disowned Jesus. Just flat out told him, you disowned Jesus. You did it when you traded him for a murderer. Barabbas, and we talked about the name of Barabbas last week. Son of another father. That you killed him. But God raised him from the dead and proof of his resurrection is that this man is standing whole here. His power is happening right here, right now. And he commanded them to repent so that they would have their sins wiped away. And that's what the core of the gospel is. Respond to the grace of God. Repent, turn. Agree with what he says about who you are, the state we're in. Totally broken inside. Repent, turn. means change your mind. Go towards the Lord. Run away, you know. Run to and it's reflected in our actions and so, so, so that your sins can be wiped away, blotted out. Remember the old typewriters? And I, I know people under a certain age are like, what's that? Go straight to hard copy. This is strange. You know, but I'm like, you know, you'd have to like, you had, remember the erase button came on? That was like the coolest thing. I remember that. I know. I'm not, you're like, wow. It's like, it, it, it blots it out. It takes it away. And there was a little bit of a blemish. But this would be like backspace. It's gone. Well, even it's in the memory there. So the Lord just totally takes it away. You know what I'm saying? It's gone. Blotted out. It never was. It never happened. So he says, repent. Turn to the Lord. Call out to him so that your sins, which we all have, are gone. They're eradicated. How many of you enjoy that? It says so that you have times of refreshing. Ah, oh, that is what the world needs, times of Refreshing. But we want to have the refreshing without the repentance. I want to have, you know, entitled, you know, goodness with God and all that stuff without the heart change. I want all the benefits of without the relationship, without the heart. God says, no, you got, you got to turn. Turn towards me. And that faith in Christ, like we said, faith just like he spoke and he reached down his hand. Well, faith in Christ is speaking and it's also demonstrated the proof of our faith is in what we do. That's the practical way it's played out in our lives. So repentance is that faith, but it's also showed in our actions. We're not saved by our works, but our works prove that we have been saved. It's a proof in the pudding. And he said, he commanded the repent so that they'd have times of refreshing, but they did not listen, they would be cut off. And that means to be utterly destroyed. And that's what each of us are faced with. That's what the world is faced with. You know, in a world of so many variables and so many things, really it comes down to that one black and white statement. You either have Jesus or you don't. You have life or you don't. You have eternal life or eternal destruction. One of those things. That's what, the, that's what it comes down to. You have the Son or you don't. And Peter used scriptures to make all these things, all these illustrations, all illustrations happen and so here they are in the temple courts and the people are gathering around. And now in chapter 4, verse 4, verse 1, uh, what do you think is going to happen? Well, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They were preaching the resurrection of the dead. So verse 3, they seized Peter and John 
And because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But verse 4, but many who heard the message believed, and so the number of men who grew, a uh, uh, number of men who believed grew to be about 5,000. You're going to see these terms like Sadducees, Pharisees, scribes, lawyers, and on and on and on and throughout scriptures, and all these are different religious sects, and I wouldn't say, they're, you know, like you got your Baptists, and you got your Episcopalians, you got all these different people who believe, they kind of have a, have a core belief, but there's different variations of each one, and so you'd have the priests who are operating the temple, taking care of things uh, in the temple, the sacrifices, you know, the opening the doors, closing the doors, the temple guard were the police force, kind of guarding the temple, the gatekeepers of the Old Testament. You had all, and then you had like the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they had different teachings that they would follow, different teachers, so they had disagreed on different points. The Sadducees right here, emphasis on verse one and two, they're the people who did not believe in an afterlife. No resurrection from the dead. No, we all just stop and it's all, it's all over. That was their emphasis, and so they're hearing this teaching in the temple courts, and what do they do? Get the guard, go arrest them. And so all these groups would get together, the Sadducees and the scribes and all these people, and they would form the Sanhedrin uh, with the elders, which would be the, the big political leadership. And remember, there was no separation of church and state. Religious law was your law. It was all together. And so you'd have this big group of guys getting together, and those were the guys that put Jesus to death. You're going to see him in just a few minutes here. And so all these, these groups... Are, are converging, who normally see things differently. And when you see a bunch of political people gathered together all for a common cause, look out. They usually have one common enemy. <laughs> and if you don't know who that enemy is, <laughs> guess who that is? <laughs> it's you. No, just kidding. <laughs> Anyways, so they're emphasizing the Sadducees, and so they're very upset because Peter and John were teaching that the reason why this guy was healed is because Jesus was alive. Jesus was alive. This was proof of it. And so here in Acts chapter 4, we see the beginning of the persecution of the church, the persecution of the church. Have you, any of you ever been persecuted because of your faith? And I know you can go, okay, I, I haven't been like, you know, communist China persecuted, but I mean, have you been persecuted from your faith? Have you been given a hard time? Have you been ridiculed? Have you been uh, challenged publicly? Have you been, uh, you know, have any of you experienced that? Yeah. It's not an easy thing. And so put yourself in that mindset. You've got these guys who are filled with the Holy Spirit. This miraculous thing happens. They're in the temple courts and the leaders of the city, very powerful people all gather together and grab them and throw them in jail. What would happen if the mayor and everybody at Walla Walla comes over and just says, I'm not saying anything about the mayor. I'm just, I don't know the mayor. <laughs> Otherwise, if we get, see, I'm already fearful. <laughs> Run away! <laughs> uh, but when we become witnesses of Jesus to his resurrection, you know, that his life is in us, it's going to be shown in several ways. When Jesus is alive in us, when his Holy Spirit is filling us, when we are changed people, it's going to be shown in, by what we do. What were these guys doing? What were Peter and John doing? They were on their way to church. They were on their way to the 3 p.m. service. They were devoting themselves to that time of dedication to the Lord as you are this morning. Amen? Praise the Lord. And they were aware of people around them in need. 
They were looking for opportunities for God to use them, to be a vessel. They were changed in that way. Instead of self-centered, they were other-centered. And we see that. They reached down, they picked up people who were crippled by sin. And they were also changed by what they said. You know, we, they opened their mouths to preach the gospel. They spoke. It wasn't just an inward, private, alone thing. There was talking going on. There was expression. It flowed out of who they were. I know this is difficult for many of you who, who uh, don't feel like you have that calling or gifting, and I understand that, but there's a time and a place where we, we die to ourselves and we just, we just speak. There's a, time, or there's a time when we also die and be quiet, right? <laughs> but we tend to like to emphasize that part if you don't have the gifting, right? So my number one fear in school was public speaking, right? And you can see why, because... <laughs> <laughs> Every week I'm, uh, I'm mumbling and all that stuff, and it's great, and you get to laugh at me. Uh, but God, in, in spite of that, God uses people. Through you. He'll, use, uh, he'll, he'll work through you. And so they op- we're opening their mouths. And when we are witnesses, when Jesus' life is flowing through, through us, we are like Jesus. When we allow him to live through us, we become like him. Our actions, our words, how we see the world, how we interact with people, the way we do things. And guess what the world thinks about Jesus? They don't like Jesus. You can say any other name you want to say, but don't say the name of Jesus unless you're cussing. Then it's it's okay. But you say Jesus in a public prayer, you say Jesus in a place, or you say in a, you can say whatever else you want, but not the name of Jesus. They hated Jesus. And I know that we, we say, well, there's a surface acceptance of Jesus, but when you really get down to it, what Jesus says to every single person is you need me, you're broken, you can't make it, I am the way, I am the truth of life. Whatever you're trying, it's not working. Come to me, fall down before me, surrender your life to me, give up, and I will save you. Who wants to hear that? No, but Lord, you, I mean, Jesus, you, don't you understand I'm, I'm pretty good. Can it be Jesus and or total, absolute surrender? Cross. Next time you're worried about the consequences of sharing the gospel, go to John 15, 18 through 21 and wrestle with it. It says, if the world hates you, Jesus speaking to his disciples, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But that's a scary verse. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. How does the world love it, you at, love it its own? Just ask yourselves these questions. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they'll be, obey yours also. And they will treat you this way because of my name. Remember that, my name for they do not know the one who sent me. And Peter and John, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they, guess what? They met resistance. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you are allowing the, Lord, the, the, the light and the love and the life of the Lord to live through you, when you're living the life of the cross, you will meet resistance. Plan on it. And know that you're in good company. Verse 3 said, They seized Peter and John because it was evening. 
And they put him in jail until the next day. And how many of us focus on that verse 3? Oh, they seized him and put him in jail. I don't want to be put in jail. Don't, whatever I can do to avoid that persecution, that rejection, that conflict with people around me that I love and care about, anything to do. I just want to keep it smooth. And I'm willing to compromise and compromise and compromise until my salt is gone, my light is gone. I often get so concerned about verse 3 that I forget about verse 4. What is verse 4? What does it say, everybody? People who heard the message, they, they believed. And people were added to the kingdom. This is where we gotta die. We have to die to self. Unless that grain falls into the ground, there's not gonna be a harvest, friends. Nothing is gonna come of it if it stays in that original state. It has to fall. It has to die. It has to give up. It has to say, I'm willing to be experience what Christ experienced to some degree to be united with him so that others might live. I'm willing to embrace the cross of Christ. I'm willing. I'm willing to say the words. I'm willing to be truthful and loving with people. So embrace the cross the rejection, the suffering, the threats, the labels, and hold on to Jesus as you share the gospel. Jesus is the hope of the world. It says that, and as a result of that, the church grew to 5,000 men. And we know that they counted the men as the heads of the families, and so the church is probably like 10,000 people. It's going crazy. And I love how we try to grow the church we have conferences about growing the church. And I understand there's a lot of great things out there. I mean, this was an act of God's grace. And what was it centered around? What was it centered on, upon? What was he saying? What was happening? Ask yourself these questions and say, am I a part of that? Is that what's coming out of my mouth? Is this what's happening in my life? It's not a formula. That's fruit. It's being connected with Jesus Christ. And as we're connected with Jesus Christ, we're going to be in Acts 2.42 fellowship, so to speak. That's just going to be a fruit of we can't help but get together. We can't help but worship and praise and be in his word and go evangelize. And, we and God's going to lead us to the 3 p.m. prayer meetings. And he's going to lead us to the people on the side of the road. And we're going to be sensitive to his Holy Spirit and things will happen and the church will grow, not for the sake of numbers in the church, but numbers in his kingdom. We are all about church growth, friends, and I hate church growth. We're all about his kingdom growing, people coming to know Jesus and being pulled out of darkness. I want this place to be absolutely, uh, you, know, you know, it would be great if each one of you went out and started your own church. Just, it just the, the, we had to start things in the fields around here. I mean, who knows what God will do? I mean, but to go and to be that church and, and to have that harvest 
Not so the, the name of Christ's community fellowship could be exalted or Pastor Matt. So Jesus can get the glory. And we love this place. We love gathering together. And it's a sweet time and we don't, we're not knocking that. But it's him. We want to, you know, hey, those people have been hanging out with Jesus. That's what we want. And we want to send people to other churches and bless them. And anyways, we can get off on this subject. But Peter and John, they were thrown in jail. A lot of people came to the Lord. Verse 5, we will get through this. Next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law, they met in Jerusalem. This is a Sanhedrin, right? Same guys who put Jesus to death. And I, uh, Ennis, the high priest, was there, and also uh, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. This is not John who's obviously in the story. This is someone in the high priest family. And they, verse 7 says, They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? What authority? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, look out, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, uh, verse 10, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Again, I have to emphasize, these are the same group of people. He didn't even get to that group of people, but Peter denied Jesus three times in fear of whatever. Jesus said, I would go, Peter said, I'll go to the cross, with you. I'll die, whatever it is. Denied him three times that night, ran away. Peter stands in front of the group and says, you crucified him. That's how this happened. It was by that authority. His, the name of Jesus, the guy you crucified, by the way, he's alive and he's sitting on the throne right now watching what's going on. Peter's boldness was undeniably connected with the Holy Spirit. How many of you struggle with that? in your lives, sharing the gospel. Like, I just can't, I don't have the words, I don't know what to say, but but, Peter is capped in foot and mouth. Anybody? I mean, that guy is like, hey, you know, every five minutes in scripture. I mean, he has a living problem there for a while. I relate to it. And yet, he's the guy, the Lord said, okay, I'm gonna use you to reach the Jews. And here he is speaking. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he has that courage. Peter's given a supernatural boldness here, and it's from God for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel. For the purpose of proclaiming the gospel. And the key is, verse 8, that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he said, he had a choice. Keep it quiet or open it up. And each of us struggle with that, and I, and I, challenge you next time the Lord is putting on there, just open it up. And let's see how the Lord trains us in that. You know, we, it's, it's like riding a bike sometimes. You just got to get on and do it. And then you start riding, you realize, okay, I, I get the balances. I get when I'm going uphill, downhill. Same with the Spirit. You get to know Him. You get to know how he's prompting you, and, and it's awkward at first, but then you start to understand things, and he teaches you more and more and more as you go. 
pretty soon you're doing flips off the track over there. You know what I mean? It's awesome. You will figure that out with the Lord, but open your mouth. And the things Peter's going to say, by the way, are offensive. They're intolerant. They're politically incorrect. But they are spirit. They are spirit. They are truth. They are love. They are life. Peter tells them that the authority behind the miracle, the preaching, the teaching, rests squarely upon Jesus. And he reminds them, hey, you guys crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. He's alive. That is where the authority comes from, that Jesus is risen. And is this Peter's opinion? Is he just quoting, he's not just quoting history. Now he goes back into their scriptures and he points them back to the scriptures in verse 11. He said, Jesus is the stone that you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which must, we must be saved. If that isn't the most offensive statement in our day and age, I don't know what is. That no other God, no other name, no other system, no other philosophy, no one, but Jesus alone can offer salvation. He alone saves. Wherever you've been from, whatever your culture is, whatever your background has been, whatever philosophy you've had, no one but Jesus. He alone will save. It's exclusive. No, not many roads, not a state of consciousness, a person, the person of Jesus Christ. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, he is the door, he is the good shepherd, he is the bread of life, he is the living water. You can go down the seven things that are in John. He is it. Any other way, robbers, thieves, try to get in, you can't make it. It is just Jesus. All other gods are false. All other ways will lead you to hell. It is just Jesus. Jesus. That is who we preach. He is the stone the builders rejected. And he's talking to a group of people who were the ones who rejected him. He's quoting Psalm 118. There's a story in their history when they were building the temple that they had this stone come in from the quarry. They didn't know where it fit, so they cast it aside. They were going to finish the building. They're like, where's the capstone? They said, we already sent it. We don't know. And they finally remembered, oh, the capstone. They went out and dug it up amongst the rubble. They picked it out. They go, oh, yeah. The thing that brought it all together, that was the point. They rejected it. And that's what Israel did. They rejected their Messiah. And because they rejected their Messiah, now we hear the gospel. Romans teaches. Praise the Lord for his work in that. Jesus said, whoever falls upon this capstone will be broken to pieces, but anyone in whom it falls, it will be crushed. We fall upon the Lord and we're broken. And we pray that the Lord would not fall upon people, but he will come back and he will crush. And we don't want to have that. We want to have people restored to him. And that's why we are the salt and light. And here in Acts, before these same leaders, Peter declares under the power of the Holy Spirit, you fulfill what Jesus had said back in Mark 10, 10, referring to uh, that stone of the builder's rejection. Salvation is found in no one else, 
For there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And if you've never called out, if you've called out to other things or other people or ways of life and you just have not called out to Jesus Christ to save you, I would encourage you this morning to call out to him right now in your heart of hearts and guess what God says? You will be saved. That is his promise. God does not go back on his word. Language here is emphatic. And so when they saw, verse 13, the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, how many of you have had some education? Not, not you know, people kind of sometimes take this verse and go, oh, well, it's good to be dumb. You know, I'm just saying, I understand that. It's okay. Each, each set has their own things they have to deal with because you're always dealing with the heart. And when you're, when you're uneducated, you can kind of be prideful in that, ah, I don't, you know, I just do it the old-fashioned way or whatever it is, you know, and you got this pride in your heart, and when you're, you know, and when you're educated, you can go, oh, well, you don't know what you're doing because there's 50 billion ways better to do it. And it's all around the heart. But these guys were fishermen. They were from a lake up in north, and they're just country folk. And they really didn't go too far. And these guys were just blown away at what was coming out of their lives, who they were. And they couldn't point to the PhDs. They couldn't point to their experience. They couldn't point to all these things. All they could figure out is these guys had been with that guy. And really, that is what we want at the core of who we are. Is that when people look at us and they see the blessings in our life and they see the things that are going on, that it's a reflection of his goodness. It's a reflection of him. In whatever pursuits we have, whatever educations or whatever, whatever we do or don't do, right? That it points to the Lord. But the core thing here is that it was not their eloquence. It was not their ability to put sentences together and to manipulate people's hearts and to have the PowerPoint presentation. Nothing wrong with PowerPoint. You know, and the lights and all the things. That wasn't what did it. Church, we desire, I desire to see the results of what's happening in Acts, don't you? And people's lives around us. And sometimes you want it so much, you go, how can I get it? And then you start scheming about how to do it. And we've got churches all over the nation filled with everything but humility and dependence upon Jesus Christ. And I stand among them We need to fall on our face as a church and say, oh God, cleanse us and use us. We're unworthy. Help me to reach these people, not because of anything in me, because of your goodness. Oh Lord, let, when something happens, let it be just clearly that it was you and not the organizing of my armies. I long for that. I long for that in my life, but I'm constantly fighting what I see and who I am. Anyone? So in our pursuit as a church of how we live out our lives, let's not put the cart before the horse. 
Let's let people see that we've been with Jesus really quickly here. They're amazed at the boldness and their ability to communicate. They're trying to find that reason why, and they couldn't point to anything except for they've been with Jesus. Who are you influenced by? Who influences you? What books influence you? Movies, etc. I'm not talking about just saying what influences you. How much does Jesus influence you, Matt? <laughs> I write myself a lot of questions. And if you see me walking around, I'll be asking myself a lot of questions and no one's around. Yeah. <laughs> Verse 14 says, But since they could see the man who had been standing here with them, there was nothing they could say. What shut the critic's mouth was the proof in the pudding. And I long for that. Are our lives like that man? Am I proof that Jesus is living in me? Am my actions reflecting my theology? And quite often it doesn't. But praise be to Jesus Christ, amen? Verse 15, So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and then they conferred together. They were kind of stuck. Hey, what are we going to do with these men? Verse 16, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. We're stuck. We want to kill them, but hey, we're stuck. But do not stop this thing from spreading. I'm sorry, but to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. I want you to underline that. To stop this thing from spreading, we're going to command them to no longer to speak to anyone in his name. In verse 18, then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that is the, the weight that is on our culture. That is the weight that is on your workplace. That is the weight that is on the school system. That is on the weight that is on our nation. Everywhere you go, shut up. Don't say anything about Jesus, whatever you do. You will no longer speak in his name. And somehow we think it's all politics. It's demonic. It comes from the enemy. And he's so subtle at how he spreads it out through fallen and broken people who are loved to clothe themselves in darkness, us being among them. Don't say anything about him. Don't write anything about him. Don't speak in his name. You can be religious all you want and you can give and you can be charitable, and, but just don't get into the gospel, repentance. You can have your Christianity, but you better not be following Jesus. Brothers and sisters, Jesus himself commanded his disciples to teach, to preach, to go make disciples. And so, any memo that you have from your school, from your workplace, any place you've been has now been overruled. Overruled. You are to be led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit, friends. Led by the Spirit. So when the Lord taps you on the shoulder, you are free to go. And by the way, you'll get persecuted. I'm not saying you go out and do that just to do it, but you are free. You're free. 
to be who God's called you to be at any time, any place, and you let God deal with the ramifications of that. And the church grows under persecution. At your workplace, at school, as a boss, as a slave, as a mother, as a father, as a son, as a daughter, as a friend, on a plane flight, in crowded elevators, at the beach, on Facebook, in books, and blogs, at graduation speeches, in university classrooms, anywhere and everywhere, you are authorized to be salt and light, to live, to preach, to teach, to do, and to declare Jesus to the world, right? You're free. You're free. And God is not going to put you out there without the power to do it. You're free. Enjoy it. Amen? So, next time you run into that circumstance and you feel the weight of it, and oh no, there's authority around me, you got the Sanhedrin, say, Lord, what would you have done? How would you handle this? And be aware of the struggle with inside. Don't give in to the enemy, but be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. Amen? So let's pray, and we'll, we'll get the rest later. Lord, we thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you have a, 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 a gathering of people here who long to, to hear you and to know you and to experience you and to see you work in this community. And we ask by your grace, Lord, that you would create opportunities, that you would push down walls, that you would, Lord, there's just a, there's a need for us to have your spirit, and I don't want to, your Holy Spirit, just right here in the book, Lord, and in our hearts, and in this place, just that freedom in this community, we need it. And we need you to lead the way, Father. And we don't want to force it. We just want to be in love with you and walk. And as you open up doors, we would reach down and grab people. And whatever opportunities you, you lay before us this week, we want to walk in faith in. And we trust you to do the miracles you need to do, you want to do. We trust you to give us the words when we need to speak. Give us the wisdom to be silent when we need to be silent. But Lord, help us to shine our light and not fear persecution. Lord, we we lift up all these things before you and we praise you and we worship you and we thank you. You are seated on the throne right now in your glorious heaven with all your angels worshiping you and those who've gone before us. Lord, uh, we just pray that you would call out and that you would declare your blessing, Lord, just upon this little church here, that we would be a light in this community. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen.